Good morning and happy Sabbath. Let us just bow our heads and pray once again. Lord God, here we are. We are all hungry for your word. Oh God, come to us and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading of God's word is coming from John chapter 15. I will be reading from the uh, English Standard Version. And I want you to follow along with me either in your Bible or on the screen. Let us read together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word this morning. Obedience. What should we say about obedience that hasn't been said? It's part of the foundation of our society, believe it or not. Obedience creates stability in our society without which many things we take for granted would simply be impossible. We expect to get to work safely every morning. Um, We expect to go home and find our house well intact. Nobody's broken in. Um, We expect to not drive through potholes on the freeway and, and in the streets to and from work or wherever we drive every day because we take for granted about people's obedience to rules without which there would be no stability anywhere. We take for granted that people obey traffic rules, uh, community rules, and that they pay enough taxes or honest taxes like we do so that uh, somebody could fill up those holes and we don't have to drive through them. I remember driving through one um, years ago and um, we were scouting out, me and my friend of mine, I, we decided to leave Loma Linda and uh, rented a car. I had enough uh, uh, wisdom in me to, to rent a car because we were going to cross the border south of the border, um, crossing uh, to TJ Tijuana and go, going all the way down to Rosarito and then to Ensenada and beyond Ensenada to a place called Valle de la Trinidad until we hit the, the northern tip of the Sea of Cortez. Um, we drove and it was a fun, it was actually fun driving until on our way back after we had had this uh, time scouting out the place and meeting the people that we're going to be living with. And we, uh, I was going to be taking a few weeks after that uh, a group of youth and some adults to go and build a church over there in Baja, California. And on our, on our way back, I drove through a massive pothole. 
and the hubcap of one of the tires went flying this way and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stop. There were cars behind me and I had to pay quite a bit of extra money when I returned the car that day. We take for granted about obedience because obedience is really founded, uh, is, is what keeps our, um, our society going. Without these basic obedience on everybody, then we would not have a law-abiding society. Without obedience, chaos and anarchy, anarchy would reign. There would be no stability, and without stability, there simply can be no product productivity. We cannot hope to work and bring home the bacon. Well-being and also personal freedom. But as we all know, obedience is a very tricky thing. How do we obey? How do we obey without losing our individuality and our personal freedom? How do we not become mindless drones, you know, doing the bidding of the hive's queen, an authority figure over us at all costs? How do we, how do we draw or where do we draw the line? And you know, this pandemic has exposed our difficulty, our conundrum, really. Where do we draw the line, for example, between individuality and the health and safety of all? And when do we let personal preferences and our own enjoyment of our own freedom take a back seat, at least for a while, to obedience, to guidance, about masking and social distancing for God knows how much longer? And for and disobedience, and when is it okay for us to perhaps disobey these rules and to, be, to, to have a little bit of some measure of insubordination, one might say, uh, and certainly become viable options. Our, our uneasiness and suspicion about obedience is really nothing new, especially in a society that is very individualistic. And it seems that individualism is, uh, you know, runs really deep within our society itself. In the early 1960s, a Yale PhD student by the name of Milgram conducted a series of, um, of experiments he called Obedience to Authority. Um, in this experiment, a certain voice of authority in a white coat, yeah, like in a hospital, a white coat, asked teachers to administer electric shocks um, in increasing increments all right, to students who gave wrong answers to questions. The teachers did not know that the students were only paid actors and that you know, they weren't really getting electrocuted uh, at all. So every time the, the, the teachers would press that button, they would scream and yell and ah, like they were, they were dying. And ultimately, however, um, the, the study uh, uh, came up with this uh, really sorry result. Over two-thirds of the teachers kept obeying the authority figure in the white coat as the shocks reached as far as 450 volts. And I, I Googled this, and I'm not sure if, you know, Mr. Google uh, got it right, but it says, Google says, it takes about 100, Will, you're an electrician, Will, Will was just over at my house helping me out with some projects at my house, and now, Will, we are so happy that we no longer have blinking lights that are, you know, in, in the garage. Will, is it true 
that it takes an alternating current of about 100 to 250 volts to kill a person. What was that? The amperage. Oh, okay. So how much amperage would it be to kill a person? What? Wow. So anyway, in this experiment, um, over uh, two-thirds of, of, these, of these teachers kept shocking these students with, with this electrical current, you know, um, you know, enough to kill them several times over. Um, and the study shows how, they say how far uh, unthinking people would go if instructed to damage and kill. We saw that. All too well, I suppose, and well, we've seen it, we've read about it, and we've never seen it, we've not seen it with our own eyes. We've read about it in history books, about what happened to an entire nation when an entire nation submits to an authority that ends up telling them to kill their own, to kill their own. Studies like these seem to confirm our suspicion about obedience. Obedience is a nasty word to some. And I must say, even among the disciples of Jesus Christ, it seems to be that way, at least in some quarters. For many sincere Christians, obedience gets in the way of true faith, of true spiritual freedom. It gets in the way, some say, of grace itself and lets legalism back in through the back door. And, you know, we've, we've seen legalism. It exists. It's very healthy in some quarters. Um, you know, legalism is that type of thing that reduces faith down to a list. We've seen it. We probably still see it. It is a dangerous and, and a deadly path, um, a race towards the bottom, a rallying around the barest minimum. And the touting of the barest minimum as though it were the very epitome of faithfulness itself. But Jesus disrupts our frame of mind. He disrupts our thoughts. He disrupts it by telling us that, you know, there is a kind of obedience that is okay to him. An obedience... That is a Jesus kind of obedience that is farthest from being legalistic. He disrupts our thoughts, our frame of mind, by telling us that love ought to change our view about what obedience is. And this statement we find in, in John 15, verses 10 and 14, tells us, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That seems very simple, very plain for us. However, of course, even the legalist, we, even the legalist can, can baptize his list of do's and don'ts by insisting that it is being done out of love for, God, for Jesus Christ. And therefore, with that statement, you know, with that statement, you know, he doesn't change his ways. He basically puts love on top of his list. But Jesus disrupts our thinking about obedience in some radical ways when he inserts love in it. Love is not simply the baptizing of rules. 
to make rules more palatable, to make them feel more acceptable. We've seen that happen time and again. There's no adjustment, there's no, re- there's no readjustment in how obedience is seen or faithfulness to God is seen. Those crushing lists, the, you know, and that reductionist way of, you know, driving, you know, going all the, to the bottom and, 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 you know, a reductionist kind of a faith that tells us that if you obey these rules, you've got it all covered. Love is not the baptizing of rules. To make these rules acceptable. As I said, even a legalist, legalist with his rules of do's and don'ts can appeal to love and still end up in the same place. But love, love turns obedience into something far greater. You see, love turns obedience into a dynamic interaction between, uh, beyond the letter, an interaction between two living, thinking, feeling individuals, not between individuals and lifeless rules. What do I mean by this? Obedience, Jesus' kind of obedience, opens our eyes, opens our senses, uh, all our senses to the universe of God, to the universe of Scripture, where the Spirit speaks of Jesus in myriads of ways. As one author says, Jesus Christ dances in 10,000 places. And he speaks to us in many different ways. And as we come to, as we go to scripture, and as we study scripture, we find this interaction between person and person becoming more and more interactive. And we find ourselves agreeing with that hymn when the hymn says, He walks with me, He talks with me along life's narrow ways. And then we start realizing that Jesus Christ really does live. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we interface with his word, that dynamism that is energized by love, love for God himself or Jesus Christ, that dynamism, you cannot get that from a bunch of rules. You cannot reduce that to a list of do's and don'ts. However good that list is. Because you see, even, the, you know, hard as you may try to objectivize rules and give it a, and to give it a reality of its own, it's still, it's still just rules. It is not the person himself. Love turns obedience into a dynamic interaction where Jesus, who dances, as it were, in 10,000 places, invites you to dance with him. I'm speaking metaphorically because Adventists don't dance. So they say. It is that kind of dynamism that we must discover for ourselves if we truly want to obey God from the bottom of our hearts and not have to rely on a certain kind of faith where you know, you you tout the rules and then you say, let's rally around the rules. 
It's like a pep rally, really. When I was in high school, I went to a public high school, and it was a large school. Kids, you know, um, I graduated my class. There were 600 of us. How many do we have at Pine Hills? We have, I love, uh, by the way, I, I think it's great that we have a small school because, you know, uh, uh, the, the teacher-student-teacher teacher ratio is, is good, right? But you see, love is the only thing capable of turning obedience into, into, anything else, into something far greater than legalistic obedience. And so Jesus Christ says, you know, um, I want you to obey me and not just to follow me. And now I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to, you know, uh, you know, what's the difference? You say, well, I'm thinking now really about Facebook. How many of you follow people on Facebook? <laughs> and how many of you, when you think somebody's being a little too crazy or maybe a little too, you know, uh, you, you can either unfollow somebody, just click. It's just a matter of unclick, unfollowing somebody on Facebook. How many times? Come, come on. You can con- don't confess to me. You can confess to God, I suppose. How many have you unfollowed on Facebook? How, how many do you follow on Facebook? Now, if we are to consider obedience to Jesus Christ as something uh, close to following somebody on Facebook, then we've got, we've got a shock coming because that is not obedience and that is not discipleship in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And so I would have to say, if it's about Jesus Christ and if you've been following Jesus Christ on Facebook, you can go ahead and unfollow him and obey him instead. Because that's what he wants from you and me. This dynamic interaction fueled by love takes us far beyond the minimum that any list will provide. Far beyond the reductionism legalists would have us subscribe to. Eugene Peterson Peterson describes this dynamism very well in this way, and I quote him. He says, At age 35... I bought running shoes and began enjoying the smooth rhythms of long-distance running. Soon I was competing in uh, 10K races every month or so, and then a marathon once a year. By then, I was subscribing to um, two and reading uh, three running magazines. That's pretty serious stuff. Then I pulled a muscle and couldn't run for a couple of months. Uh, Those magazines were still all over the house, but I never opened one. The moment I resumed running, though, I started reading again. And then he says, that's when I realized that my reading was an extension of something I was part of. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the experience of running. I learned a few things along the way, but mostly it was to deepen my world of running. If I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. The parallel with reading scripture is striking, he says. If I'm not living an active response to the living God, reading about his creation, salvation, holiness, won't hold my interest for long. The most important question isn't, what does this mean? But what can I obey? That's what it means, truly. This is obedience at its best. Jesus' kind of obedience. And it is the obedience that God wants us to have in our lives. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
I was reading, you know, not too long ago about this story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or Bonhoeffer, we say as Americans. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, um, a Lutheran uh, pastor and theologian during the time of, um, of Nazi Germany. He had the, uh, the opportunity, he was, a very, he was already quite famous uh, by the time he, uh, he was in his, his early 30s writing some classic books in, in Christian ethics. One in particular that I like particularly is, the, is a book titled The Cost of Discipleship. He, if you've ever wondered who coined the term cheap grace, he's the one that coined that term cheap grace. In the mid to early, uh, to, to late 1930s, when uh, Germany was descending into this abyss of Nazism, he had the opportunity of leaving, leaving his country. He was offered a job over at Westminster Theological Seminary in New York. He had the opportunity to do that, and he could have left, and he could have saved perhaps his life. But after he had visited the United States one, de- one time, he decided, after much prayer and 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 and, and um, struggle with God, he decided that he could not be true to his faith as a Christian if he had stayed in New York and not gone back to his country. So when he went back to Germany, and there he got embroiled in, in this resistance to resist this, this tyrannical power, evil in every way. A power, however, that has Essentially, if you were here a few weeks ago, you would have, you would have listened to, you know, uh, to, to our preacher, our guest preacher, talk about even how our Adventist church was, uh, our, many of our members in the, in the Adventist church there in that country, in Germany, uh, sold, you know, were sold into the, this gospel of Nazism. But Dietrich von Hoffer remained true to his faith, and, and uh, he got involved in, in trying believe it or not, to trying to stop Hitler to the point where he got embroiled in some of these assassination plots to kill Hitler, to put a, put a stop to this madness that was happening in his own country. Of course, he was imprisoned, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then um, he was um, pretty much martyred for his faith. There was another guy whose name was Arthur Forbeck, another Christian, another Lutheran Christian, who he said was just following orders. He was a judge. And he was a judge that was given the instruction to implement the, um, the decision of the Nazi regime to kill um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Arthur Forbeck, so the, um, uh, the, um, uh, the story goes, you know, he, he rushed to where uh, Bonhoeffer was incarcerated, waiting to be, to be hanged, and, and he rushed over there to, to, um, to obey the, um, the command of another authority, who was not Jesus Christ himself but the authority of another person to order the, uh, the hanging of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. One, perhaps we could say, was following Jesus Christ in the same way, perhaps, that we could say that many people follow others on Facebook. And the other one was obeying Jesus Christ. 
The question to you and me would be this, which one would we be? Following someone on Facebook is a daily occurrence, but if we really want to be disciples of Jesus, we must rise above this kind of shallow discipleship. Unfollow Jesus Christ if you are, you've been following him in this way and so that you can start to interface with him and obey him, obey his word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said some pretty um, amazing stuff in his books. And one in particular, he says this in his book, The, um, the Cause of Discipleship. He says, discipleship is not an offer man makes to Christ. Discipleship is not hero worship, but intimacy with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is what discipleship is. When Jesus Christ calls you, he expects you to listen to his voice. Not just to follow him in some shallow way, but to give your all to him. And when you respond to him like that, he will respond to you in kind. And the two of you, the two of you will dance in these myriad places he takes you, in these myriad experiences he causes you to have. And obedience will never be the same again for you. It will be something beautiful. And your obedience will, will probably, you know, if, you, if we obey in, 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 the, in, the, in the privacy of our communion with Jesus Christ and you obey specific to what he tells you to do, then your obedience will be different than the others. And, and then it will be, you know, what we will have is a myriads of, you know, individuals of Christians that are obeying Christ in some beautiful ways, expressing themselves in myriads of ways in, your, in our lives together and separately. And in that way, in that way, and only in that way, can we truly assert to the world around us that the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God is not only here, but the kingdom of God truly does work even in the most sin-infested part of this universe and this world we call Earth. So brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ invites you to to follow him, to obey him, just do it. He will surprise you beyond your wildest imaginations.